0: You are listening to a podcast providing education on how you can spot, report, and prevent trafficking. Through survivor-informed content, our team of survivors, industry experts, and community leaders are committed to increase survivor identification beyond 1% as the first step to ending child sex trafficking in America by 2030. Join us for real facts, real stories, and real ways you can be on watch with us.
1: Hello, my name is Brittany Dunn. I am the COO of Safe House Project and I'm also joined today by my co-host, Christy Wells. And I'm the Chief
0: Executive Officer of Safe House Project. Brittany and I founded Safe House Project just a few years ago in 2018 because we wanted to make a difference in combating trafficking. We all have to do our part to understand how trafficking has really woven its way into the fabric of our country and we all need to be on watch to spot and report and prevent trafficking. So, of course, there's no better way to help understand this issue than through the survivors. So, today, we are so excited to welcome our very special guest and somebody we are honored to call our friend, Survivor Leader, Lita, Lita, Rhea. Welcome, Rhea.
2: Thank you, Christy and Brittany. It's just a privilege to be here. I love what you guys are doing. I just had the opportunity to finish the on-watch training just a couple days ago, and it is fabulous. So, I'm just loving... How much awareness you've been able to bring to this issue.
1: Thank you. We really appreciate your help in getting that written and just your contributions throughout this entire process and your support. As we get started, do you mind sharing a little bit about your story and kind of where you're at today? Sure. I was a victim of sexual abuse by
2: my father, starting at age 12, and it progressed as I got older. By the time I was 17, he was regularly having sex with me and would bargain with me for sexual favors in exchange for something like a night out with my friends. And he always said he wanted to give me the, the ultimate experience in life In his words, and that looked like a lot of different things. Sometimes it was taking nude pictures of me. Sometimes it was uh, beating me with the writing crap, black and blue, and sometimes it was trafficking me to men he would meet uh, on the internet and I left home at 19 to escape that uh, abusive situation of my father who abused me and trafficked me and a mother who blames me for it, um, even to this day. And I didn't have anything when I left home. I didn't have a job. I didn't have any money. I didn't have a high school diploma. I'd never been to school. I've been homeschooled my whole life. And you know, in that time, in that situation, there really were times that life was almost not worth living. But after I left, I realized I could take what happened to me and use it as an excuse and let it hold me back the rest of my life. Or I could just say, you know what, I'm going to be better because of it. We don't choose what happens in life. We don't choose everything that happens, but we always have the choice to choose how we respond, better or better. So I left home at 19 and, and didn't look back, uh, but I didn't really talk about what happened to me. I didn't want to talk about it. I didn't want people to to see me as a victim I didn't want to be um, perceived as being weak or or anything like that and I think a lot of survivors identify with that with wanting to be strong because we we work so hard to be to be strong so I didn't talk about it for 13 years and in 2013 i heard motivational speaker Les Brown speak and speaking to a whole room full of people but he said you have a story to tell And someone needs to hear your story and only you can help that person. And I thought, I got a story to tell, but I don't think I want to tell it. I worked really hard to forget it. But I realized in sharing my story publicly that it it helped turn what was such a terrible thing from my past into something positive and a way to bring hope. And, you know, today I share my story. I've written several books and and I speak all over the country and touch on my story. And I don't, share my story so people will feel sorry for me. I share my story so that everyone can look at me and say, if she can overcome what she went through, then so can I. And uh, to me, that's the, the greatest thing in life is the difference between a career and a calling, finding out what your purpose is and I'm blessed to have found mine. Wow, thank
1: you for sharing. I'm, I know that you don't share the harsh realities of what you went through for anything other than to help protect the next generation and help really equip people to understand what this can look like and step into that heart and be a support to survivors. So what helped you make it through your trafficking situation? For me, and of
2: course I know everyone could be different or may have a different journey, but one of the things that's been powerful for me, even today is is, is my faith and, and being a person of faith. I didn't have the same level of faith back, back then that I do now but it certainly was something that gives us hope. And I think that's the biggest thing is is what really comes down to helping us overcome trauma or adversity of any kind is hope that tomorrow is going to be better. Right. And I think that's common for all of us is we have to, we have to have hope. You know, you've heard it said that hope isn't a strategy. Well, that's true. But if you don't have hope, you're not going to get a strategy. And I, I didn't have a lot to hold on to, but there was that, that tiny bit of hope that says, you know what, maybe, maybe tomorrow can be better. I didn't know how, I didn't know when, I had absolutely no idea how to get there, but I think hope is, is the foundation. And you have to have a vision that, that really life is not always going to be this bad.
0: I love that. Well, you talked about how you were able to leave. What did escaping your trafficking situation look like for you?
2: Well, for me, I had run away from home several times, just trying to get away, trying to escape. And my dad would always find me and, and bring me back. And I didn't have a lot of options or I felt like I didn't have a lot of options. And I think that's pretty common is that a lot of times we don't really know how to leave or we don't have the resources or don't know how to connect to resources that can that can help us. For me, it really, the the, the last time I left, the time I left for good, I met uh, my now husband of uh, 19 years—I call him my knight in a shiny Camaro because back then he had a shiny silver Z28 Camaro—and uh, you know, 20 years later, we've long since gotten rid of the car, but but I kept him. But he was the first person, you know, after we started talking, in all of the years that I had been abused, he was the first person to ever say something is not right about this situation. He was noticing some signs and he was the first person to just ever ask me if something was going on. A lot of people had noticed, family and and friends even, had had noticed that things weren't right, but nobody wanted to get involved. Nobody wanted to ask the question. Nobody wanted to rock the boat. And Mac was the first person who was willing to just step up and say, something is not right. Is this what's going on? And he had no idea to the degree of, of how bad it was, but he could see things weren't right. And for the first time, someone, you know, I felt like someone really cared enough to to get involved. And he gave me the courage to leave.
1: Mac is such an incredible man. I know we've enjoyed getting to know him over the past year and just seeing the way that he honors you and honors your story and that you guys co-lead in everything that you do. You really have such a beautiful relationship that reflects both of your healing journey I'm sure through this entire process
2: yeah thank you we are we are incredibly blessed you know we tell people because we live work and travel together and speak together and when you spend that much time with somebody you have to do more than love them you actually have to like them you have yeah. time together <laughs>
1: No, I think we're all learning that during quarantine that you really need to like the people that you that you live with, which has its challenges on some days, I'm sure, as we all know. But I love just the, just the love that's always so apparent in your all story. So what is one myth that you want people to know about trafficking or correct about trafficking? I
2: think the biggest myth that I would love to see just dispel forever is that I think a lot of people have an idea of what trafficking looks like. There's a stereotypical image in their head. And I would love for people to just be clear on the fact that it's it's not that stereotype. Trafficking can look very, it can look like your next door neighbor. It can look like someone who goes to your church. It can look like, you know, someone down the street. And if we can get away from that stereotypical image in our head, whatever that is, it probably looks a little different for all of us. But if we can get away from that and be more aware that evil exists in in places that at first glance seem pretty innocent. For my situation, I mean, my father professed to be a a very strong religious Christian. You know, he, that's why that my parents didn't send us to school. They said that their biblical beliefs wouldn't let wouldn't let them send us to a, a place where there could be bad influences on us. And yet that really was just one more way to control us as I see now. But because he had such a you know, such a self professed image of Christian and, and religion and you know, just that that sense of of, you know, I'm so good and I'm so religious and, and so much that and a lot of people just really didn't want to get involved because they didn't know how to how to reconcile that with the signs and the things that they were seeing. So that's the biggest myth. I, and I think when, that's one of the reasons I love the OnWatch um, program, because if we can get more people aware of just, just aware first, you know, to look for some little red flags, it's so much easier that we can help
0: these victims earlier. Yeah. No, I love that. And so as people are taking the on-watch training and as communities are really becoming more aware of what trafficking really looks like, what opportunities do you see for other individuals to really come alongside and support the trafficking survivors? I think the the
2: biggest way to support survivors is, number one, just let them know that there's nothing wrong with them. I think a lot of survivors, and and this was me for many years, a feeling that, not that I did something wrong, but I am something wrong. And that's the essence of shame. It's not that I made some mistakes because we all make mistakes, but that I am the mistake. And, you know, for me that, and I think particularly with familial trafficking, it's easy to do that and to have that sense of shame because it's, it's that sense inside yourself, you know, something isn't right. And yet, how do you reconcile that with people who are supposed to be taking care of you? And so all you can think of, this is bad. So I must be bad, And so that's the number one way that we can help support survivors is let them know that they have worth beyond what, you know, in the past they've only felt valuable when they could do something for someone and letting them know that they have worth inherent worth and that they are incredibly unique and gifted and give them the space to grow into that potential because it, it, it healing like that is, is a process and our social support system is one of the three key elements that help us heal from trauma. You know, after, you know, as we, as we develop um, as people, as humans, we form a sense of ourself of identity based on the people around us. And when that is just shattered by trauma, particularly when it's someone that we know, we have to rebuild that. And the people around us can help us do that so much more effectively, but it's important to have that right those right people around us who can help us grow and and help us grow in positive ways and be good influence on us that's the number one way is you know survivors need love just like everybody else but they also need that support and healing
1: yeah no and i think that has definitely been something that i've had the just the pleasure of meeting survivors and they're real people. They want friends. They want community. They want to sit and have a cup of coffee. Like it's not always about the trafficking situation. They want to go and get a manicure or get a pedicure or go for a walk or a run. And I think supporting survivors doesn't have to be as hard as I think sometimes it's made out to be. It's really about being a friend to people. And I think Yes, you have to be aware of things that might come up and you have to be willing to step into their heart in moments, but it's not it's not always that. And so I think that each of us comes with our own varying levels of experiences that we have lived and how do we really show compassion toward one another? I think is really what we're all needing to learn at this point is empathy and compassion are a huge key, especially when we're the- mm-hmm handling those who have dealt with complex trauma. To that end, I know that you wrote an incredible book. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this? It feels like a great time to hear about it.
2: Um, I wrote Fearfully and wonderfully. Me, actually, at the very beginning of this pandemic. Um, It's been on my heart for a couple of years, and we've just been traveling and busy and And in fact, I realized in about the first week of March, I actually told somebody, I said, you know, I've been making an excuse with my travel schedule to not sit down and write this book. And then like the next week, the world shut down. And so then I had time to sit down and write the book. But it's really, as I look back over my journey, I mean, you're seeing a completely different me than the me of 20 years ago when I first left. I had a a comment on social media that says my body language doesn't look like that of a typical survivor. It doesn't. Now, it did back then, but you're seeing the transformed me, right? The transformation of going from a, a broken 19-year-old girl who's being trafficked to someone, I mean, I've been privileged to speak on a TEDx stage and, you know, incredible opportunities, but that didn't happen by accident. And so as I look back over the course of my journey, I wanted to put down the principles of personal growth and development that could help us you know, this book isn't specific to survivors. It's for any woman who wants to grow into her potential. Mm -hmm. But how can I take the lessons learned from my journey and help someone else walk through that? And, you know, I tell, every time I speak, I tell uh, women you have dreams and, and vision inside of you of what's possible. And there's only one reason that your definition of life could be better than it is now, there's only one reason that's there. And it's because you are capable of becoming the woman who can make it happen. Or you wouldn't have those dreams and those goals. And so that's why I get so excited about it is because, you know, I was very fortunate to have some, to have Mac in my life and and, and have some great opportunities in my journey. But if I'd known how to intentionally apply the principles of success and developing myself and leading myself and influencing other people, I could have traveled a little bit faster. So I love to talk about these principles because, you know, we can all, we can all learn them and apply them and grow and whatever it is that we want to accomplish in life, we've got to develop ourselves to be the person that can do it and nobody's going to do it for us. You know, I tell people, I'm like, no one's going to fight for your dreams as much as you will. And if you're not willing to fight for it, no one else will. And it start, the foundation is starting with that personal growth and development. So the whole book is starts with, you know, it's shifting from a mindset of getting rid of excuses and self-limiting beliefs and overcoming um, adversity and then shifting into growth and development. And things like, you know, self-care and self-worth and self-respect, because that's going to lay the foundation for self-love and, and self-discipline and
1: self-development.
2: And that's where self-realization helps.
1: (laughs) No, you're absolutely right. And it is such a journey. And we actually had a question come in from one of our viewers and she was asking about the she mentioned that she had a similar issue with her mother blaming her for the things that happened and transpired. And she was wondering if you could speak to a little bit of how you processed and worked through that part of your past.
2: Sure. So that's a that's a really good question. And You know, I can speak to my journey and I'm glad to do so. And everyone might experience it differently. For me, I realized after I left that holding on to bitterness at either one of my parents was only going to affect me. And so I I very quickly realized I needed to let that go and and really separating my sense of identity from that role that I play as a daughter. And what I mean by that is we all have roles that we have in our lives mom, sister, mother, you know, um, wife, whatever it might be. And so I had a role as a daughter at that time in my life. But it's important that we don't base our sense of self-worth on the roles that we have in life. So an example of this might be, you know, the career woman who works a career for 30 years and then she retires and suddenly finds life is meaningless because she's built her sense of self-identity on that role and that job and that career. The problem is that those roles will shift over time, just natural in the seasons of life. And if we haven't built our sense of identity on something that's lasting, then it it will shift and shatter with it. And so what I realized is that I couldn't, I couldn't create my identity or hold my identity around that role of of daughter. Because as, as terrible as it is, you know, the people who should have protected me didn't. And so I have to separate that and because if I don't, then it's too easy to get back into that circle of, of shame and saying I'm the mistake. My own parents couldn't protect me or wouldn't protect me. Mm-hmm. Then it's very easy to get in that emotional swirl of, of, you know, I'm the mistake. So I had to step around that. Now I, I couldn't have told you that in so many words back then. The other thing that was really powerful for me, and, and again, this is from a, of faith perspective, but it's it's my perspective. And I read a book called um, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And the only thing I remember about that book was something he said in there is that if you're a person of faith, then you believe that Jesus died to forgive your sins, right? But he's also died to forgive the other person's sins. And you don't have a right to hold bitterness against that debt because he's already paid it, right? Jesus already paid it. And that was powerful for me in realizing you know what? I, I can't let that bitterness or that hurt affect the rest of my life. I'm not going to give those people any one more second of my joy and my happiness in life. And I just realized that's not an easy choice for all of us, for any of us to make, but it is a choice. And I tell, I tell some of the survivors I work with, I'm like, you got to get up and make that choice every single day. And sometimes you got to make it every minute or every hour.
0: But the more you make the right choice, the easier it's going to be. I love that. And your, your strength and your grace for how you have set boundaries in, in relationships and really found your identity and your own self worth rooted in something that is long lasting is just, it's inspiring and it's um, encouraging to hear for people of all walks of life, but especially our survivors. So, what is one message you would really want your fellow survivors to hear?
2: you know I come back to the new concept of fearfully and wonderfully me and fearfully in this case means awesomely me right if that's even even word but but I really would love for everyone to be able to just really grab onto the the concept that we are all individual and unique and special and awesome because yeah you know it's not it's it's not being arrogant to to be confident and have that sense of self-worth right if you don't love yourself it's going to be really hard for anyone else to to love you the same way right it starts with with me i've got to love myself and develop myself and take care of myself and you know the the foundation of that is recognizing number one i don't control everything that happens but I always have the power and the freedom to control how I respond. And that's freedom, right? That's true empowerment, is recognizing bad things are going to happen. And that's terrible. It's sad and, and it's hurtful, but it's life. But our greatest freedom as humans is saying, yes, that can be bad and terrible and hurtful, but it doesn't have to define the rest of my life. Does it influence me? Absolutely but it doesn't have to determine me and it doesn't have to determine any other survivor either.
1: I every time I speak with you I just like you fill my cup I think you fill the cup of our listeners and it just shows how much work you put into your healing journey. Like because I know that this is not something that you've arrived at in a single day. It's a daily <laughs> decision to take that step forward and continue walking this path and I know that you inspire us and you inspire the other survivors that that you mentor and all of that. A little bit of a question that wasn't planned because you had a really big week last week and I would love for you to share with our audience about the opportunity you had to meet with the Trump administration.
2: It was an incredible opportunity and it's one of those unexpected opportunities you really don't know is coming and so you you... Can't almost almost can't even prepare for it, but yes, last week I was privileged. there were Attorney General Barr and Ivanka Trump, and then our Governor from the state of Georgia here, Governor Kemp and his wife, were coming to um, Atlanta for a couple of key meetings, and they had heard about the work of one of the projects that I'm involved with is called Envision Project, and it focuses on events to help survivors learn to thrive. And that's really where my passion is, is, is speaking, you know, for anyone who's ready to learn to thrive. And so that kind of fits in naturally. So I do a lot of volunteer work with that. And we've actually been using Fearfully and Wonderfully Me in some of the sessions with the girls. So anyway, the the VIPs heard about the Envision project and some of the, the work that we've been doing. And so they asked if they could, you know, come hear about a little bit more and so I was just privileged to be invited to be a part of that, and, and kind of speak to not just not just my story, but how we've been able to to use that in a positive way, and how we're using the book to talk about some of you know with, with the with the survivors and helping them develop themselves and learn to thrive because it is a mindset shift. So it was an incredible opportunity, just being able to sit down at a small roundtable um, group discussion with these. You know, four incredible leaders, and and I tell people, politics aside, it's exciting to me to see leaders of our country and our state at that level who are interested in making a difference in this issue. And there again, politics aside, I'm not interested in the politics, I'm interested in people who want to get involved and want to make a difference and make an impact because that's what it's going to take. Right. That's what it's going to take. So it was incredible experience all four of them were very interested had fantastic questions taking some notes and and i really feel like they cared about the issue or they they wouldn't have been there to begin with so yeah incredible opportunity and and very hopeful i think it says a lot about people people care and they want to make a difference in this issue yes
1: i think that's so true and i think that as you said this is a bipartisan issue this isn't one that aligns to it because it's a human issue. At the end of the day, we have to be working to be on watch to protect those who are, you know, victims of human trafficking, and then prevent the next generation. And so it's so important to see uh, community members, government leaders, corporations, whoever it is, taking, taking this issue on and choosing to invest in it and learn about it and be part of the solution. And that's really what it's going to take to ultimately eradicate it. Uh, so before we sign off, is there anything that you would like to leave our listeners with? You know, I, I always like to say what happens to us is not as
2: important as who we become because of it. And that's true for all of us, for any of us, right? Things are going to happen in life, but but what happens to us isn't as important as what we do and who we become because of it. Because that's our potential to make the world a better place.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And where can people find you if they want to get in touch? Sure. You can find me on my website, uh, RiaStory.com. So
2: R-I-A-S-T-O-R-Y.com. You can find me on Facebook, Ria Story, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, just search for RiaStory. I'm, I'm out
1: there pretty, pretty, pretty frequently. So. Wonderful. Well, thank you for your time today. Thank you for just your continued support and for being a voice. You are, you're full of grace and grit and we love it.
2: Well, thank you. It's- It's people like you who, you know, there again are are making a difference and we all can join together and make a make an impact.
0: Let me leave you with a quote from William Wilberforce, who once said, you may choose to look the other way, but you can never say again that you did not know. Each of us has had a defining moment in our life where we're faced with the choice to either engage or look away. We hope you'll subscribe to our Watch podcast for future content about how you can make a difference in ending trafficking. Thank you for listening.